because look, I mean, it's cliche or fine, but life, life, I mean, education is a lifelong learning exercise. Mm-hmm. I have always said, if you stop learning, the odds are you're six feet underground somewhere. You've got to keep that learning curve going. How can a set of skills lead you down the path to success? That's what we're setting out to answer on the Ed Up Canada podcast. I'm your host, Michael Sangster. Join me as we unpack how leaders around the world have taken training and skills and turned that into a lasting career. Now let's learn together. Welcome back to Ed Up Canada. I'm your host, Michael Sangster, and today we're going to continue learning together about jobs, skills, workforce development, and we're going to talk about the business community in Canada and some of the things they're thinking about. So with that in mind, I'm honored to be joined today by Goldie Hyder, President and CEO of the Business Council of Canada. Goldie is one of the most tireless, energetic, passionate leader that I've ever seen in Ottawa. I'm lucky to call him a good friend, but I'm more, you know, maybe inspired to spend some time talking to him about some of the things that he's seeing going on in the economy, in education, and on the global stage. So with that, Goldie, let's get started. Well, with an introduction like that, I wish I'd been called earlier. <laughs> Thank you. Very kind of you to say, my friend, and indeed, we go back a long ways, and so I'm really happy to uh, to do this. But you and I both know that whoever makes us look good is our team, so I'm very lucky to have an awesome team here at the BCC, and I'm grateful on their behalf for the nice words that you said about the work that they do, and it is important work at an important time. Well, I've I've been an observer of BCC for a long time, and I don't think they've ever had a bigger place in Ottawa and a bigger place on the global stage selling Canada and trying to do the right things for our country. So that is a testament to you and your leadership, plus also the leadership of your team. You're right. You do have a very, very good team, very good team. So jump off, because one of the things we do like to talk about is, is skills development. And throughout your career, I'm sure you've picked up a lot of skills. So I'm interested from Hugh, what do you think is one of the skills that you've learned or that you embraced earlier that maybe led you to get further along the career path than others? Or one thing that made a big difference for where you've gotten to be so successful? I'm going to go with perseverance. I think life has a lot of adversity. Life creates moments where there are crossroads and sometimes you pick the wrong one and you have to come back from that. I really believe that luck is an important part of life, but you got to make your luck. And as the old saying goes, you know, you you learn far more from some of the mistakes you made and some of the failures than you ever do in your successes. I have a podcast like you do as well called Speaking of Business, and I speak with our members, primarily the CEOs of larger companies in the country. And this is one of the common themes, actually, which I find very interesting is how many of them, you know, use failure as the launch pad to have become successful. And we have this myth and this perception that, you know, they're born, they went to Harvard, got an MBA and became a CEO. Not quite, it turns out. And certainly that's not been my journey at all either. So I think perseverance is something I've always believed is uh, critically important because life's not a straight line. Oh, it is not a straight line. And I I appreciate the line about failure. We we both know a, a lady in Ottawa named Janet Yale. And I failed spectacularly on one issue one time. And it took me a couple of days to come to grasp with it and figure out a path forward. When I got there, the only reaction I got from her on leadership on the failure was, why didn't you come 48 hours earlier? And we'd be 48 hours ahead on the solution, but don't be afraid of the failure. Put your hand up, embrace the failure, embrace the change, make a new path and go forward. So 
I appreciate hearing that that's what other other well, business leaders say to you. By you though. Like, that's yeah. the other piece of no this. No question with her, It's though. one thing to admit the failure, but it's another thing for your leader to be able to say, look, good for you for trying, good for you for letting me know, and let's figure out how to fix this, and let's make sure we figure out how it doesn't happen again. One of the best leaders I ever had. When the door was closed, she could take your head off. Rightfully so on some occasions. But when the door opened up, no one would ever know that you'd had an issue. She had your back. So that was one of those things. And we'll be having her on in a couple of weeks to talk about some of the things in her career. But you mentioned it. So let's talk about business. I've always wanted to be a warm-up act for Janet Hale. So it's good to know that's what I'm doing here. (laughs) I'll let her know. So you talked, you mentioned it. So let's go there. You speak with businesses constantly. So from what you've seen or what from those guys and ladies are saying to you, what do you think is an underrated or an undervalued skill set that workers need in order to succeed today? Look, a lot of attention is given to STEM, the importance of, of STEM education and STEM skills. But I'm going to tell you that what I hear from our C-suites, particularly as we went through COVID, uh, interestingly enough, is let's add an A in there and make it STEAM. Now, look, full disclosure, I've got two arts degrees, so for sure someone out there is going to say, yeah, well, this is really self-serving. No, it's, it's what I'm hearing. You ask me what I'm hearing. And what I've heard from so many people in the C-suite is, I can hire the smartest people, and now I'm going to get machines to do even smarter work than that. But thinkers, people who know history, people who know how to communicate, people who know how to solve problems, people who know how to do teamwork, people who can work virtually and work remotely and, and or in the office, these are all skill sets that are more softer. They're more on the EQ side or the whole left brain, right brain argument. Although I've got to tell you, a CEO just yesterday said something to me that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use. I won't say it, name him, but he said, Goldie, you know, there are a lot of people who are on the delivery side, but it's rare you can find people who are on the discovery side. And to, to help people do that, often I think it comes from that soft arts background, of just knowing how things connect, knowing how the world evolved, knowing how problems were solved. And so much of That old saying, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it, certainly applies. I mean, it's not like this was the first pandemic. We had one 100 years ago, and I'm not sure we actually applied some of the lessons of that as well as we possibly could have. History matters. You're absolutely right. So we'll get back to the career college sector because Goldie presented to our board of directors last year and gave us a real frank assessment. I do want to go there today a little bit, but how do you think the education system as a whole is meeting or failing the needs of our economy today? Well, look, um, I often say that if um, business can't find the talent that they need with the skills that they require, they're going to automate, they're going to outsource, or they're going to relocate. And more often than not, that means outside of Canada. And so ensuring that we have the skills that are current, but also forward-looking is critically important. And those are not things that you just put out of a machine somewhere. You have to be thoughtful about making sure that you're, first of all, creating a runway in your education system that looks not just to the present, but a lot further on down the road. And so you're equipping these young men and women with the capacity to grow, to learn, to evolve. Because look, it's cliche, oh, fine, but life, life, I mean, education is a lifelong learning exercise. Mm-hmm. I have always said, if you stop learning, the odds are you're six feet underground somewhere. You've got to keep that learning curve going. But we also need to be aware of sort of where things are. And where they are and where they're going, certainly in the near term, is a heavy demand on skills such as cybersecurity, analytics, uh, quantitative analysis, everything around artificial intelligence and machine learning and cognitive computing, IT, computer science, which is not new per se, but it's evolving. And I would add construction and healthcare to some of these things. So much of our narrative and discourse out there in the public is about, you know, 
too many people and we don't have the healthcare system for it and we don't have the housing for it. Well, you know, breaking news, we'll have even less healthcare and even less housing if we can't get the people in here to work. And I know we'll probably talk about foreign skills accreditation, but that's a big piece of it as well. So I also th just want to stress that while we figure this out, other countries are not waiting. I just came back from Japan, for example. They're teaching kids AI in like junior high school. And so I don't know what our junior high school curriculum is, but something tells me it might be what you and I went to junior high school with. Yeah, they're probably still not teaching math properly. Right. And so, AI. so we've got to make sure that we don't wait to educate people when they get to a college or a university or yep. in their advanced education phases. It starts much earlier than that. And I recognize it's not your domain necessarily, but you know, you're only as good as what's sent up the chain to you. Yep. And so we've got to make sure that we do a much more broader introspective about the overarching nature of our skills agenda. But that means peeling the onion back on education system right from K, kindergarten on. All the way down. And you pivoted a little bit there, but let me go a little bit further. You talked about cybersecurity, which is one of the areas I was at Willis College this morning here, one of our career colleges. They're training the cybersecurity operators at D&D. So there is a role for everybody in the PS post-secondary education system to play a role to meet the needs and the skills that you're talking about. I'm interested, how often do your members talk to you about needing truck drivers and skilled trades and those things that we used to think is, is not basic, but they're great careers. They're not basic. Yeah, they're not important. only are they great careers, uh, they're six-figure careers yeah. in many ways, in many cases even. Driving a truck, 600. That's high six, six yeah. figures. And yeah. so, um, no, this is not an issue that is a surprise to me because our members, many of them, are in fact in construction being uh, one of the examples or healthcare where you're not necessarily the doctor, but you could be a variety of other things. What you're seeing is a need for labor across the board, the plumbers, the electricians, the, you know, the project managers, uh, the radiologists, the nurse, caregiver. This is a demographic issue. People, I realize, can get heightened sensitivities around, you know, are we letting in too many people or not? The reality is our birth rate just fell for the first time in over 30 years the other day, down from 1.40, which it's been for a long time, to 1.33 today. We used to have seven workers for every uh, for for one retiree, it's down to three to one on its way to two to one. Well, I don't know about you, but not only most people can pay any more taxes in the environment in which we live, so we're going to have to grow the base. We're going to have to have more people working. And look, we've got the second largest landmass in the world, and I think this is a country that has done it well and can do it well. But we have to have honest conversations with people about what the problem is and what the solution is. I'm glad you mentioned the retiree statistic. It's my favorite one. But if, if you well, didn't hear them there, it was the it used to be, a thousand words, used it, to be right? seven <laughs> workers for every one retiree, and we're headed to two to one by 2030. That's unsustainable. Totally. The economy will not be able to survive that kind of move. It just came from Japan, move. as I mentioned. Believe me, when it happens, it happens fast. It can be extremely problematic when it does. Yep. So we're going to be looking for people working longer, but there are just there are not enough. We've got a problem. We have to solve it. So let's go into international students. Let's go into that. So we don't do as much work on the reaccreditation of people, but we train people. We bring them in and we train them, but we're not a big part of the international student problem that we see today. The majority of those students are attending universities and colleges, although we get lumped in and, and people have a run at us and have a good time taking an eye on the uh, career colleges and what we do. But if we were to get more access to those international students and work on a path forward to train the workers we actually need, Give me your frank assessment. You gave it to our board, and it was very welcome. You were you were tough with us. It was a good conversation, and it was Saturday morning at ten a.m. Did I give up a golf round for you? No, you had a flight though at noon. I think <laughs> oh, you I came see. in okay. and joined us for an hour. Or I was going to say I really like you. Really good conversation. <laughs> it wasn't golf. We don't give up golf. You and I very easily. Well, look, um, you know, sometimes the truth the truth hurts, but the truth is necessary if you're going to address the elephant in the room, right? And uh, there's no denying, and 
you know, we had that conversation as you referenced. There's a lot, you know, they don't report safe landings. So all the good work that many of these community colleges are doing or stuff, that's not what's getting reported. It's the, it's the bad apples. And unfortunately, perception is reality. And if it takes hold, it's very hard to reverse. So my message to you then and my message to anyone in this situation is, you know, recognize that you have a credibility problem and that you're being judged by the company that you keep and in some cases don't keep. But they want to keep your company by their own branding and their own characterization of what it is that, you know, what might be uh, out of your basement uh, career colleges, which might well be, you know, work programs in, in guys. And so, first of all, there are rules for that. They need to be clamped on on. They need to be exposed and they need to be uh, shut down uh, if that's the case. And so for you, I think it's about telling the positive stories. <laughs> what is working? And no media is going to do that for you. You're going to have to do that much more. How is uh, How are regulated career colleges contributing to Canada's future growth and well-being? I know there's a good story there. You know there's a good story there. And this is not sort of replacing students that would have gone to U of T or any of that. I mean, these are others who fall into a category where they're better situated for a range of reasons you know better than I, where they can be educated and deployed to be productive members uh, of a workforce that, as I've just mentioned, is extremely necessary. So in many ways, you're a part of the solution. And my advice to you then, and, and remains the same now, is you know use the facts, uh, the data is king, and make sure you have the data. And provide the proof points. Uh, don't show. Mattel, as one of my mentors used to say all the time. And and we keep trying every day, and it's a tough push to get it through the news sometimes and get through the story because, as you said, you get judged by the, or I always say I get judged by the lowest common denominator. But I'm proud of an organization that we trained 18,000 personal support workers in Ontario during COVID. Uh, in Ontario and New Brunswick through one of our programs. Put them to work in long-term care, in home care, in hospital care. So we're not afraid. We're not unabashed to tell the story. We're going to keep telling it. But I did want to I didn't want to gloss over the fact that, that you did shared some frank views. They were important views for our members to hear, that we are working through some of these issues. What I do say is that we're, we're pleased well, with the says, regulatory system. I think that a lot about system. you and the board and the organization, that you were able to hear it and received it well and are trying to do something about it. That's, that's important. Even just the level of regulation we're under that the average person doesn't understand. Just the, the level of regulation we face goes beyond other levels, and we're okay with that. We just look for consistency in the provinces. So. You deal with international governments. You deal with the Canadian government all the time. You lead with business leaders. How do you see government helping? How do you see them playing more of a role in assisting education? Maybe, maybe use, let's use the word skills training instead, workforce development instead of education. Look, it's easy to always look to government to solve problems or to fund your problems and so forth. I, I look at this one as much more of a shared responsibility, Mike. I think uh, business and government have to work together. I think business and government are working together. Take a look at the at a, a creation uh, actually incubated right here by the Business Council of Canada called the Business Higher Education Roundtable. I did, it identified a gap that business leaders had seen, which is basically we were getting kids out of universities and colleges who just weren't ready to hit the ground running. That the quality that they'd received for preparation to start hitting the work wasn't quite there. And so we did go to government and we said, look, we're willing to participate in a program that would help create work-integrated learning, create opportunities for up to 40,000 uh, young men and women across this country to create and to have an opportunity to work for pay uh, as part of their internship, if you want to call it that, or a bridge between coming out of university and college and hitting the ground running at work. And it's been a wildly successful program, and it was only made possible because of a partnership. So full credit to Minister Morneau at the time, Bill Morneau, who saw the, the need for this, but also to the business leaders who said, we're in. We want to participate. We want to do our part. We want to employ them. We want to pay them. We want to make sure that 
And now what you get is workers who are, you know, um, hitting the ground running, so more productive, probably more loyal to you, might be more interested in staying with you. They work their way up uh, in those companies. And all of these things make, um, they make for good business. And I will tell you, you were talking about how hard it is to tell your own good news stories. I'll tell you, there are so many of our members in the Business Council who are investing a significant amount of capital in reskilling their workforce. And as you know, so much of the workforce is about where you are mid-career. You might be 40, you might be 45, you might be 50, and you're thinking, wow, what's AI going to do to me? How is robotics affecting me? What kind of automation? What about outsourcing? All of these things. Am I going to be out of a job? And do I have to go to school when I'm 50 years old? And so our members have really taken the role of saying to their workforce, listen, my job is to make sure you have a job. It may not be the job that you have today, but I'm going to make sure that I invest in you and skill you and reskill you while I'm paying you so that let's say you come into work five days, but every Friday, half a day, you're going to be relearning a new skill because I know in two years, the skill that you're currently doing will probably be automated, but I need you to do something else in two years. And so that's happening, Mike. And I, and we don't, I don't think we do enough of a job to talk about the effort that businesses are doing to keep their employees because they need them for the reasons we cited earlier. Well, and interesting because a lot of those people are ending up in our colleges actually, because we're built with those three, six, nine-month programs that are very focused on different technologies, AI, next generation. Somebody might want to turn over and become a truck driver. We do a lot of work with veterans when they leave the military. Where do they go? What's the next path for them? So we, we do training around them. To do. Something, and as an employer, who do you not want? Someone who's served the nation, is loyal, shows up, works hard, and is happy to have another career. Those are great employees, and we're working with business. We're working with the government on some new veterans programs that I think are going to be very successful for retraining them because they're perfect employees to come out of the system. So let me pivot here a little bit and go completely off path here. The greatest mentor you've had or a mentor you had, somebody who just changed it for you, sent you off in a completely new direction or a new thinking. Is that one that you constantly reflect back to? Well, you happen to know him. It's my old uh, boss over at Helen Knowlton, uh, Mike Coates. Uh, well-known uh, in the Ottawa circles, Conservative Party circles and others. But for me, Mike represented someone who was a quasi-father figure who took me under his wing and said, listen, you know, I'm going to give you a lot of tough love. I'm going to give you straight talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your work your butt off. We're going to have fun doing it. We're going to do it with values. We're going to do it with ethics. Uh, we're going to play on the biggest things. Uh, you're not going to be a millionaire here, but you're going to work like you're one. And, uh, but you're going to have a measurable impact. You're going to feel value for the work that you do. And what really stuck with me through all of this was the, we always had values on the wall and I'd say they were never just values on the wall. We lived them, we practiced them and so forth. And the one that always stuck with me and the team here has heard me talk about it a lot is constant improvement. The idea that no matter how good you are, you can be better. And to be better, it requires you to, first of all, recognize that you can be better, right? And do the hard work, you know, like take the time, do the reading, do the listening, do the talking, do the reflecting and really work hard. I mean, you know, some of the greatest sports figures you and I admire, as great as they are, you know, Tiger hits 10,000 balls in a week, probably, right? Tom Brady threw balls through footballs and Wayne Gretzky did what he you know, shot the puck when everybody was off and it was dark and cold outside. You just got to keep working. And Mike, um, you know, to his credit, uh, led by example, which I think real leaders do is they don't ask you to do anything that they wouldn't do themselves. And uh, it created a work ethic in me that I, that I had, but I think I just took to another level 
and I can't shed it today. It's just as unfortunately for my teams who work with me, they know that. And, and it's funny, we talk about education a lot, but education is just part of the journey. It's those life experiences, those people that shape you as you go. Mine, one of mine, I've got a few, but one of them is Mike Robinson, who you know well. Yeah, very Who we lost too soon. Yeah, but rest his soul. One was, Mike was one of those gentlemen in the room, no matter what was going on. And he gave me the greatest compliment one night in a room full of people. And people were, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you working on? What's this? What are you doing? And I just didn't answer. And he just said, guys, maybe the fact that you don't know what he's working on is the greatest compliment you'll ever have. But that voice of Mike, the gentleman in the room, but he was that consistent, hardworking, never had a bad word to say about anybody, no matter what was going on. And it's a good lesson to just bring it down, calm down, ride through. Well, look, it all punctuates the importance of leadership, of mentorship, but also a recognition that one never stops learning. And I'll bet you Mike never stopped learning. Neither your Mike nor Mike have ever stopped learning. And that's, uh, that's a key to success. So talk to college owners in Canada right now with one last question. And I, th I think you already gave the answer, but I'm going to give you another chance to say it. If you were designing a curriculum, if you were building a program at one of our campuses, what's the skill that the employee, that the learner needs to leave that college with that an employer needs or they need to be successful? Well, look, I could give you the technical stuff by saying, yes, you should really have your digital skills up. And yes, you should, you know, be prepared for the big issues like climate transition and so forth. I think it's more attitudinal. I think it's more the capacity to be flexible, the capacity to um, be thrown into different situations and adapt and adjust and get the work done. You know, we need to modernize our system in, in many ways that we've spoken about. We need to act with more speed and more ambition and all of that, all of those things. But you know, one of the reasons I sleep well at night, <laughs> despite all the challenges that, that we face as a country and so forth is... I firmly believe in the collective wisdom and the collective capacity and capabilities of Canadians. Day in and day out, we figure it out and we get her done. You know, we get her done. And it's not sometimes pretty and it's a messy federation and all of that. And so I'm always an optimist and I know the members I work for are half glass full kind of people. I think we're in a time right now where our leaders need to give people hope. And we need to empower them and enable them to do exactly what I just said, which is to, you know, to get, get out of their way to get stuff done and let them do it. Well, I, I can't agree with you more. And I know that's the approach you've taken in your whole career, but more importantly, with your family and your community life. Goldie's had an impact. My uh, father said to me one day, leave footprints, leave footprints where you go, that someone knew you were there and you made a difference. And you do that all the time. And I appreciate well, your time you, today, Goldie. I encourage everybody. Listen to what he's doing. Watch what he's doing online because this organization is doing some incredible stuff trying to drive the Canadian economy. I can only imagine what a board meeting looks like with your board of directors, a, a room <laughs> full of CEOs guiding you. But from the ones I speak to, and I know well, they couldn't be happier that you're leading the ship still. And that's a huge compliment to the work you're doing. So congratulations, well, thank Goldie. You, thank you for making the time today. It's always a pleasure. Well, thank you for this. Thank you for what you do. And um, look, we've, we're in it together when it comes to um, making life better for our kids, our grandkids, but most importantly, making sure the trajectory of this country is on their path to growth and prosperity for our people. Thanks, everybody, and look forward to a, another episode next week. And uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ed Up Canada podcast. We release new episodes regularly, so make sure you hit that subscribe button so you know when they are officially out. If you love this episode, please leave a four or five star review wherever you listen to your podcast so that others can also discover how a set of skills can lead to success. 
Thanks for learning with us.